Today we're talking to Dr. David Noe, professor of classics here at Calvin University. We're talking about a book which he translated recently. So it's going to be just a casual conversation discussing the book, why he does translation work, and any other thing which may come up. The book is God or Baal, Two Letters on the Reformation of Worship and Pastoral Service. It recently came out. So David, as we get going, tell me, why was this particular book or these particular letters chosen? Why did you even decide that something like this needed to be translated? Right. Well, thank you so much, Paul, for having me on. I really appreciate this. Uh, so the, <clears throat> the impetus behind these particular letters was actually a comment made by, of all persons, Richard Muller. Uh, after I had finished the Franciscus Junius volume, which was, I think, in uh, 2015, uh, Richard said, you know, there, there are two letters, actually three, from very early in Calvin's uh, career, and only one of them has ever been put into English. And uh, he said, um, these are really important for the understanding of Calvin's development early on in his life as a, a scholar and pastor. And so based on that, I began the work uh, several years ago and um, was delayed by other, other projects and eventually uh, got around to finishing it up just this last year, 2020. I'm gonna adjust my screen here a little bit. There we go. All right, very good, thank you. So the letters were chosen. Um, what's important about them okay they hadn't been translated before so why right. why should they have been right so what there are two letters actually and then a very small prefatory letter so the two letters one is written to nicholas duchemin uh one of calvin's early associates and the other is written to gerard Roussel. and um <clears throat> they're important because they give us uh, an intimate look at calvin's thought at a particular moment in time so this was after he had published the 1536 edition of the Institutes. It was after he was, uh, had begun his work in Geneva in uh, late summer, early fall, 36. So it's the first salvo, you might say, in the Nicodemite controversy. Okay. Uh, it's the, the first instance in which he says, if you have evangelical, you know, what would have been described as Lutheran convictions at the time, if you have evangelical convictions, you can't just stay in the Roman church. You can't say, well, worship is um, entirely interior. It's not exterior. So it doesn't really matter if I participate in mass and so forth. I'm still, you know, following the Lutheran ideas of justification by uh, grace alone through faith. And Calvin said, no, that you can't do that. Um, you have to either, you know, to use a slang term, you have to fish or cut bait, right? You either have to side with God, right, or uh, with Baal in his words. So this is a reference to his quotation of Ezekiel um, in the, the tiny little letter. It's only about two pages. That's prefaced to these two larger letters in which he says, you know, the, the, um, the choice facing uh, French evangelicals in particular is just the same choice that faced Elijah at Mount Carmel, mm. right? If... Uh, if Baal is God, worship him. But if God is God, then you have to say no to that. So the first letter was actually translated, the one to Duchemin was translated by um, uh, Henry Beveridge in 1852. Mm -hmm. um, and the second one had been translated into a, a couple of other European languages, but never English. Interesting. 
So uh, as you worked with these letters, was there anything in particular that surprised you about Calvin uh, well, and, and the way in which he wrote these letters? Right. Uh, a, a number of things. Um, <clears throat> you know that his own stylistic hallmark is brevity, right? Brevitas. He says, this is what I've always aimed for. This is why my commentaries are so short, right? Compared to other commentaries on scripture. And you can see that he is, um, he's really intent on this concept of brevitas throughout the, the letters. Uh, but another hallmark of his, of his character and temperament more than maybe of his style is this concept of morositas. So morositas means a kind of um, touchiness or yeah. irritability, right? Calvin acknowledges quite openly that he has a bad temper. <laughs> and so, um, you know, the famous quote of Calvin that if I hear, um, I'm sorry, if, if, if a man is being attacked, his dog, you know, barks in defense, how can I not do the same thing? If I see the honor of God uh, besmirched, that's a, a rough paraphrase of, you know, a famous saying of Calvin's. And so you see that that temperamental irritability in these two letters and you see him working hard to control it uh, but in addition it's the most sustained attack on the mass the second letter uh, of anything i've read from the 16th century not obviously i haven't read everything or even a tenth probably um, but i've read enough to know this is some really strong and caustic polemic against um, the the practice of the mass. He's he's really upset about this, and I think it stems from a sense of personal betrayal mm. uh, that these two men to whom the letters are addressed, Duchemin and Roussel, even though their names are not in uh, the letters, we we have the identity given to us by both Beza and Colladin, and so these men had been at one point. Um, one of them had been a close friend, Duchemin, and a contemporary, and the other, Roussel, was a mentor. So when they decide to say to Calvin, yes, you're right on all the substantive points, but we're not going to do anything, this, this really sets him off. Mm -hmm. So that was surprising, okay. the intensity. As I uh, skimmed through the book uh, myself, reading the letters, uh, it was interesting to, to get the tone uh, that Calvin uh, with it seemed as if he, with one, he could be a little more harsh than the other. Mm -hmm. the, you know, the friendship aspect of the whole letter uh, writing context seemed to enter into these letter, uh, into the book as well. So I, right. found, I found that, you know, there was a, a, a real personal nature to this. Mm -hmm. yes, he was speaking to something that was very hard and difficult, but there was also a relationship there. And so he was trying to navigate that it seems to me it's a balance though so. mm -hmm. yes i think that's accurate so these aren't letters uh in the sense that you and i would speak about letters mm -hmm. right and perhaps many of the viewers here you think of a letter you think of something that discusses for the most part uh everyday concerns kind of mundane things i mean there might be some there might be some weighty matters uh presented in a letter about you know the sickness of a loved one or you know financial difficulties but for the most part letters are seen as an expression of personal sentiment for the most part uh that's not what calvin's doing right these are what you would call epistolary treatises right. so it's a letter with um, one stated recipient but all the time 
Calvin has in mind, this is for a general public. And so in the genre of epistolary treatise, which goes back to Cicero and Seneca, and uh, of course it's in Augustine and, and Erasmus and men of the 16th century like Erasmus, um, you pick out a, you know, an imagined or a real recipient and you include some, some niceties and personal things, but you're really expecting it to be read by uh, a very general audience. Right, okay. Yeah, excellent, very good. Let's uh, change the topic a little bit here. So you've done other translation work. Tell me about that type of work. Why do you mm -hmm. like it? Um, uh, yeah, is there something about it that attracts you? Right, uh, well, <clears throat> I got into it based on opportunism, actually. <laughs> uh, very early on, I guess it was about 2013, 2012, I was coming up for um, a tenure, you know, uh, interview here at Calvin and my institution. And although I had done work of various kinds, I didn't have one large project that I could put forward as a significant contribution that would earn me tenure. So a friend of mine, Jonathan, Dr. Jonathan Beakey, he said, um, Franciscus Junius wrote these prolegomena uh, to theology. It's, a, it's an important work. Um, Richard Muller, you know, also said, yes, that's a very important work. And Jonathan said, why don't you translate that? Because it would be an important contribution. And I said, all right, I, I need something to do. I need a, uh, I need, um, a, a 10 year level project. So I got into it and um, it took me about six or seven months altogether to get the first draft. Uh, done. And um, what I found was that the, the long preparation in studying Latin um, had served me well. Um, and so I, I kind of backed into the classics via Reformation interest. When I was an undergraduate, I was very interested in Calvin. I got to read the Institutes with Dale Cooper, who was a chaplain at Calvin at the time. And I noticed in Battles, McNeil edition, all of these footnotes and such that were in Greek and Latin. And uh, this stimulated my interest to learn these languages so that I could appreciate what I was reading. Uh, and then I kind of, I left those interests for about 20 years while I was trying to gain, um, trying to gain ability in Latin. And so about 2013, 2014, I find myself coming back to these interests more seriously and now having the opportunity to uh, share them with others. So I take it as just a tremendous privilege to be able to take the thought of these men and uh, the thoughts of these men and present them to a contemporary audience. Um, so a hundred years ago, maybe, or 150 years ago, if you were interested in Reformation studies, your Latin was already quite strong and there would be less need for what I'm doing. Uh, now there's a, a great resurgence in interest uh, of interest in Reformation studies, but unfortunately the language ability has gone down, uh, has gone in the other direction. So for me, this is an opportunity and I take it like a, you know, I think of the commandment against bearing false witness, right? Um, if I'm gonna present the thought of men like Calvin and Junius and Beza and Aerosmith and so forth, um, I, have to, I have to be really, really careful uh, that I'm being honest because otherwise, you know, I'm putting words in their mouth, which uh, it is a really dishonest thing to do. Right, exactly. Interesting point. So any words of advice for someone uh, interested in doing this so that uh, it's done accurately, it's done well? Yes. Um, 
Well, it takes a tremendous amount of hard work and discipline. Um, it takes, uh, so you need to develop those kinds of dispositions and temperaments. Uh, it requires good partnerships. So for the Junius volume, for example, Ken Bratt read the entire thing and uh, he, he made a, a couple dozen improvements in terms of, or, or more in terms of felicitous expression. He also caught a few errors because everyone's going to make errors. Um, so I'm very grateful for that. Uh, for the Beza book, I also had that uh, carefully reviewed um, by another scholar. So uh, in terms of holding oneself accountable, it's good to have other partners, peers. So I'm always looking for someone who's a better Latinist than I am. And of, of course, there are such people, right? But you have to, you have to find them and uh, get them to um, agree to help you, right? And so, so that's really important. I, I think the third thing would be um, try to get people to evaluate you who are not sympathetic to you, uh. right? So uh, my degree is from the University of Iowa and uh, the classics department at Iowa treated me with a lot of grace and kindness. And I'm very appreciative of that. But there was no, um, there was no way they were going to get, give me a pass simply because I'm a Christian, right? Whatever my piety might be, that's not going to cut any uh, ice with them, you might say. So I, my Latin was constantly evaluated by people who were not going to lower the standard. And so that, um, that peer evaluation or mentor evaluation is really indispensable. So my advice to young men and young women who want to do this is find the most difficult language environment that will accept you um, and stay in it for as long as you can. Uh, because I don't think anyone is served by immature and inaccurate translations coming out onto the market. Uh, I think that's a very dangerous thing. Very good point. Thank you. Well, as we wrap up, are there any um, other thoughts you have either about the book itself or translation work in general? Anything that you would want? Sure. <clears throat> well, the, you know, the book uh, is, it has a foreword by Bruce Gordon, uh, who wrote, you know, maybe the, the best uh, biography, well, certainly the best one of the 21st century thus far of Calvin, uh, which was published in 2009. And so I'm very grateful to Bruce that he contributed this forward. It's, it's a brilliant forward. I'm really honored to have his name uh, associated uh, with this book, as well as the other scholars um, that uh, provided blurbs for it. Uh, you know, the, the, the act of translating is pretty solitary, but in order to bring um, a product like this to a, an audience, a, ecclesiastical and academic audience, you have to have a lot of uh, friends and associates who are willing to help. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for all the people that contributed to it. And they're mentioned prominently in the acknowledgements uh, because, you know, it wouldn't come out uh, without them. I'd also like to uh, express gratitude to Reformation Heritage Books because they continue to publish, and I don't even know if it's profitable for them, they continue to publish uh, these important works of theology uh, in translation. And some of them, you know, they, they haven't seen the light of day since the, uh, the 1530s uh, to, be, to be put out like this. That's a really important long-term contribution. Um, and also I have a translation of a, a Puritan divine, John Arrowsmith, that's gonna be coming out this fall, God willing, uh, that Chad Van Dixhorn uh, worked on. It's uh, John Arrowsmith's Tacta Sacra, 
which we're either going to entitle Sacred Strategies uh, or perhaps Holy Warfare. And uh, this is a, a really charming and even witty book. Um, you know, Calvin's God or Baal is a, a frontal assault on an idea that he found extraordinarily offensive. Uh, John Arrowsmith is kind of a long walk through his library, uh, as well as um, deep theological reflection. And I think readers are going to find this really engaging. Excellent. So I give a little plug for that. Excellent. That's great. Thanks a lot. Thank you for talking to us today and giving us your insights. This has been very helpful and very useful. So thank you. Thank you so much, Paul. I appreciate the opportunity.